This is the Game Designers of North Carolina podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Game Designers of North Carolina podcast, the podcast in search of a publisher. My name is Matt Wolf and I'll be your host. Our topic for this episode is finding a publisher. And due to summer convention season and vacations and just the general difficulties of scheduling time with multiple people in the summer, I'm actually flying solo on this episode. We've had a little bit of hiatus due to the convention season, but it's time to get another episode out there, and I didn't want to wait for people's schedules to kind of free up. So let's jump straight into our topic, which is finding a publisher. I have seen a lot of questions about this topic on Twitter and over on Reddit, and we've had some people come to our meetings in the past couple months that are asking this question. So it's definitely top of mind when you know designers get to that stage that they feel that they are ready to look for a publisher, but they're not quite sure how to do that. Now, what this episode is not going to cover is pitching to a publisher. Uh, that is a separate topic. Now, before you go and try to see what publisher you think uh, might be a fit for your game, how do you know that you are ready uh, to go to that stage? So there's a couple things that you either need to kind of check the box to make sure that you've done or uh, some external criteria that will let you know that you're ready. Now, if you are a new designer, you won't have as much leeway as a designer that might be already a little bit established and has kind of uh, personal relationships with various publishers that they have been interacting with at conventions or online or previous pitches. This applies more towards a designer who does not have a lot of relationships with publishers or only has maybe one or two designs that's out there, uh, such as myself. So... First kind of criteria that you're ready for to talk to a publisher is that people who are not your friends, who are not acquaintances, potentially complete strangers, they really, really like the game enough that they're asking you, okay, when is this going to be published? You know, when can I give my money to you? That kind of thing. That's the kind of feedback that you want to get consistently about your design, and that's going to be a real indicator that it's ready. Uh, I know that uh, Richard Garfield, when he's working on designs, and his signal is just that, is for his playtesters when they they don't want to play other things, they want to keep playing just that game, and they ask like, "Hey, you know, when's this when's this one going to be out there?" You know, just you know, it's that whole "shut up and take my money" uh, kind of thing. If your playtesters, and these would probably be blind playtesters or playtesters you don't know very well, uh, perhaps at an unpub event or at your local game store, if they are just giving you feedback that it's, well, yeah, this is fun, you know, and they're not really excited about it, your design might not be ready to quite pitch to a publisher quite yet. You, you, it could be. You just could have a design that maybe doesn't elicit a lot of really passionate uh, feedback or it it could be fine and your playtesters may not be giving you that uh, exact feedback but a publisher would still be interested but if your playtesters are giving you that kind of feedback you know that's that's a great sign and that's that's when you want to make that jump over to looking for a publisher so 
if you are getting that kind of feedback, the next thing you need is a very, very solid rule book that has been blind playtested. This is absolutely critical because let's say that you find a publisher, you pitch them on your game, they say, yeah, that sounds awesome. Uh, send us a prototype. And then they are going to learn your design from your rule book. And if they can't play it, well, that's a big problem. Uh, so you have to make sure that rule book is absolutely solid. That is most likely how the publisher is going to be learning your game. You are probably not going to be there with them. You might be. You might actually play it at a convention or something like that, and they might offer you a contract on the spot, and yeah, then you can bypass the, the whole solid rulebook thing, at least uh, in order to get it signed. But if you are pitching and they ask you to send them a prototype or they take a prototype home with them, that rulebook has to be absolutely solid. The third thing that you need is a sell sheet. Not every publisher cares about a sell sheet, but a lot do. A sell sheet is also something that we're not going to really kind of cover here in this episode. There's lots of information out there about sell sheets and what to put on them and uh, how to make them compelling and things like that. Uh, but enough publishers these days want a sell sheet, uh, which is really a misnomer. A sell sheet actually comes from Publishers create them to send to retailers and distributors in order to get them to want to order their games. That's So the selling part, that's where that comes from. But the term has been kind of co-opted for a really what is a pitch sheet that a designer makes in order to uh, pitch and use that to uh, get a publisher to be interested in a design and hopefully then sign it. Because a lot of publishers do want to see a sell sheet, even though it's not 100%, definitely make sure that you have a real solid sell sheet that is selling all the uh, major points of your design, especially things like components, player count, duration, age appropriateness, whatever the hook is of your design, kind of the unique selling features of that design, and basically you know, why should a publisher you know, care about this design. That's what your sell sheet is going to cover. Okay, so your playtesters are just loving your game. They desperately want it in a publishable form so they can plunk down money. Your rulebook is bulletproof, or at least as, as good as you can get it. And if you are not great at rulebooks, make sure you have multiple people try to review your rulebook and, and edit it before sending it to a publisher. And you have that sell sheet. So at that point, yeah, you're ready that you can go ahead and look for a publisher. So the first thing that you want to do, just kind of look at all the games in your collection. And you, if you're a designer, most likely you have a fair number of games from different publishers. And look at the publishers, check their website, and see if they have submission criteria. Not every publisher does, but a good number of them do. And if the publisher has submission criteria on their website, assuming that it's not outdated, then you can know exactly what they're looking for. So I'll give you an example. Uh, this is from uh, Foxtrot Games website. Foxtrot does Lanterns and World's Fair, and they've got several more coming up. So I'm going to read this off because this is exactly 
the kind of thing that most publishers should have. And I think this is a great example. So on the Foxtrot games, so we want games that people can play with their kids, that they'll play with their significant other or their grown-up friends after they put their kids to bed, and that they'll take to their gaming group as the first lighter game of the evening. Then they go on to give more detail kind of on that sort of, that's almost like a mission statement of what they're looking for. So they want to have like family-friendly uplifting themes. So if you have a miniatures game about fighting an alien invasion, yeah, that's not going to be for Foxtrot. But if you've got a nonviolent, family-friendly, you know, something unique is always preferable uh, to a point. Uh, yeah, that would be something that they might be interested in. And then they go on ages like eight plus, ten plus, you know, and they give a really great example. They want like a a somewhat deeper family game, something like a Ticket to Ride or a Carcassonne. So they wouldn't want games that maybe like Blue Orange and Haba uh, have traditionally done, but they would want something uh, that more like a Rio Grande or a Hansom Gluck uh, would do. And then. Yeah, there's some further uh, criteria, and but I think that's a great example of exactly what uh, hopefully a publisher will have on their website. So then you can determine, you know, does your game kind of fit in with what the publisher has on their website? So that's the first thing to, to check. If they don't have anything, that doesn't mean that you know you would cross them off your list or anything like that. But the next step would then be, can you envision your game? sort of sitting in their existing line. Now, this one is a little bit of projection. You have to sort of visualize in the future, okay, this game needs X number of bits. It should be around a certain price point. It can fit in a certain size box. It has a theme that could be like whimsical or it could be serious or you know anything in between. It has uh, components that are easy to produce or maybe hard to produce or things like that. There's a lot of factors that you have to take into account when uh, trying to kind of visualize that actual game sitting on a shelf, sitting in a publisher's line, and whether you think it would be a fit or not. Uh, I'll give you a concrete example. So Green Couch Games, which we've talked about on the show several times because they have published Avalanche at Yeti Mountain and Rocky Road Alamode, which are both uh, from our group. Uh, at the moment, they are publishing just small box games that are going to be 20 bucks and less. Uh, they have, I think, two that are 15 and the rest are $20 in their line. Small box is about the size of two decks of cards, although to my knowledge they don't have any games that actually do two decks of cards yet, but who knows in the future. But if you are visualizing, uh, that's about the size of the box. So you could fit two decks of 54 cards in that box. And because it has to be sold for about $20, there's not a lot of playing around with bits in that box. You can have a couple wood bits or tokens or things like that, but you can't go crazy. You couldn't have like 15 sheets of punch board or anything like that. For multiple reasons, you couldn't get that for 20 bucks, and it wouldn't fit in the box. Uh, so if you look at a line such as Green Couch Games, you can kind of see they uh, have a very consistent box size. They have a fairly consistent uh, playing weight in terms of family-approachable games, and, and you can go down to about 10+, plus, maybe 8+, plus, uh, depending on the game. They have generally a duration that is of filler length, so 20 minutes and less. 
Uh, although Rocky Road Alamo might be a little bit above that, and that's okay. They have really beautiful artwork, which may or may not impact your particular design. Uh, but, of course, I think most designers want really nice artwork because we want to see our games have the uh, the nicest stuff that you can have. And they usually have themes that are, once again, family-friendly. They're not having anything really violent. Uh, they're going to you know, focus on potentially something unique. So, I mean, Avalanche at Yeti Mountain, that's a pretty unique theme. You know, skiing down a mountain, trying to evade a Yeti and, and outrun an avalanche. You have Rocky Road Al Mode, which is uh, delivering ice cream. Again, that's pretty unique. You have Walk on Fire, which is a dexterity game. Uh, that one, you know, you're flipping cards and it's just trying to make stir fry. Again, that's you know pretty unique. And so, if you could kind of picture your game in the Green Couch Games line in this example, you know, so that would mean it can fit inside the box. It could be sold for twenty bucks. It's a family-friendly theme. It's going to be playable in around 20 minutes. Could be a little bit more, and that would, you know, that could be okay. Could be a little bit less. It is going to have age range where around eight or ten uh, year old could play it. If you can kind of check the box on all those things, then you would want to put Green Couch Games in your list of publishers that could potentially be a fit. So when you were trying to kind of project the future like that, one thing that you do want to do is look at the existing games that they have done and make sure that you don't have a game that is too close mechanically and potentially thematically to something they've already done. Now, this is going to be highly dependent on the exact uh, publisher. Some publishers don't mind having similar games in terms of either theme or uh, mechanisms, some publishers do. If they have a game that, for example, is blind bidding, and especially if they have published it recently, they may not want another game that has a blind bidding mechanism in it. Uh, potentially, they could uh, want another game that has blind bidding, but it would have to do something very different than an existing game that they have that does blind bidding. Or that blind bidding, maybe that would be just a very small piece of the game and the game does a lot more around it. Um, so that one is just going to kind of depend on the specific publisher and kind of what their tastes are for games. Uh, that can be a little bit difficult to sort of guess, uh, but that's why this is all kind of future projecting. You know, if you can kind of look at their their line and just judging on you know a lot of that criteria again, box size, duration, ages, things like that. If it seems like a fit, then that they could be a publisher uh, that would be a fit for your design. Another way to try to identify a potential publisher is to look at their existing line and see the kind of aesthetics that you want for your design. And so this is a conversation I actually had at Gen Con recently with uh, T.C. Petty, uh, infamous of Viva Java and uh, Xenon Profiteer and several other games, where he was telling me about one of his designs that he was going to pitch to a publisher. And I asked what made him think that that might be a fit, because that would not have jumped kind of to the forefront of my mind that, hey, these guys, you know, they might want this game. And and TC said that they just kind of have the aesthetics that he was looking for, and they also had proven that they can handle a game with about the component count 
that his design has. So they're not afraid to deal with like a lot of components, a lot of uh, tiles, a lot of cards, things like that. And they have done bigger box games, so they would be comfortable doing you know a big box game uh, in general. And uh, I thought that was. Uh, a really good way to kind of look at a publisher from a viewpoint that I hadn't quite looked at and looking at it from aesthetics, looking at it from not necessarily like a gameplay lens, but simply they, they already do games about the uh, physical size of the game and the component count. And they have the type of gameplay in other games where mechanically not similar, but it might evoke sort of a similar kind of feeling or a similar kind of uh, weight in terms of uh, just the mechanisms in the game. And so that that's, can be a little bit more difficult to try to project, but that can also be a really good avenue just to say, hey, I really like so-and-so publisher. I like the kind of games they put out. I like their aesthetic. I think they do a good job components or uh, artwork or anything like that. Uh, I, I don't know whether my game would be a perfect fit for them, but I would love to see them, you know, kind of give that treatment. So that can be a way uh, to be able to uh, identify a publisher as well. Now, what you don't want to do, though, and if that publisher does a very certain type of game, and, you know, if they do very high interactive games, perhaps a lot of take that kind of games, uh, like Steve Jackson or something like that you're probably not going to get a lot of success trying to show them a you know midweight euro uh, that's not really in their wheelhouse even if you like the uh, treatment that they give their releases it's probably not a good thing to show them if, if it's so outside of what they normally do now if you do have some kind of relationship with that publisher already perhaps you demo for them perhaps uh, you volunteer at their booth at a, a convention, or maybe you have done some type of creative work for the publisher, uh, help them out on social media, or you have, you know, if you're an illustrator or a graphic designer, perhaps you've worked with them in that capacity. Then you might have a little bit more insight if they're trying to look for something that's a little bit different from what they've already currently done. Uh, but for the most part, you know, if your game is super different from what they've already done even if you like their aesthetic yeah that's it's probably not going to be a good publisher to pitch now if you have the opportunity and if you're just not sure what the publisher is looking for then just straight up ask them uh, i have yet to find a publisher that kind of roll their eyes like why are you asking me this if as long as you know you've checked their website you know you you've kind of looked around to get a good handle of what you think uh, that they're looking for. Uh, but yeah, if you just, if you're not sure, just straight up ask him. And for example, at Origins in 2015, I went up to the R&R Games booth and I talked to Frank DiLorenzo as one of the uh, owners. And I just straight up asked, like, hey, what are you guys looking for uh, these days? Because R&R Games, they kind of do a variety of stuff. They do some little card games. They'll do some midway Euros. They do some party games. They have done some straight up just toys, actually not games. Uh, they do some very, very mass market appeal type games, and yet they also do some games that have a uh, more hobby uh, focus. So from my perspective, I couldn't really 
put a, uh, a finger on exactly what they were looking for. So I just went up and asked. And at that time, at least, I don't know if this has changed, but Frank said they're looking for midweight euros. You know, they weren't looking for party games. They weren't looking for little, you know, card games. Uh, they weren't looking for anything like that. They were looking for midweight euros. Now, I'm sure if you had an amazing game that you know would fit, even if it's not like a midweight euro, and they would probably still be interested. I know Frank tells the story about Attraction, which is their magnet game where they're these polished magnets and you flick them around on a table. You're trying to get other magnets to connect up with them. And basically by the end of the game, you want to have the most magnets. Really fun, you know, five, ten minute game. And he was pitched and the designer approached him and said, I have a great game for you. I know you're going to love it. And in you know Frank's mind, he's thinking, yeah, right. I hear this all the time. And at the end, the designer was correct, and Frank did love he loved the game. And then they did end up publishing it. And it is a really fun game. I do recommend trying to pick up Attraction if you want a magnet flicking game uh, that is pretty unique uh, out there. And when I think of that game, I think, yeah, that's totally R and R games. It's just this silly, relatively low cost game that's very approachable in the mass market, very approachable from just about any type of gamer. And R and R does that kind of stuff because they're also the company that does Times Up and uh, very you know light, uh, approachable games like that. Uh, so if you can ask them at a convention, feel free to go up to their booth. You know, ask them what they're looking for. Ask uh, who the correct person to talk to is if you're not sure about you know what the publisher is currently looking for. If you're not able to go to a convention, you know, feel free to reach out on Twitter. Most publishers these days are on Twitter. They may or may not be run by someone in at that publisher that would know the answer to the question. Some publishers are better about Twitter than others. If you know who is sort of behind the company, and this might be a little ageist, but if they are younger, they're probably going to be pretty good on Twitter or uh, Facebook uh, and Instagram as well. If they are older, you probably want to email them, and that would probably be the best way to solicit a response. That's not always 100% true. Um, it's just going to depend on the exact person, but definitely try, like try social media, send them a direct message through Twitter. If you know, you're following each other, uh, send them a message through Facebook. I don't know actually if Instagram has any kind of private messaging. If it does, that might be a good way to do it. Generally, you want to keep those questions sort of uh, private just because the publisher will feel more comfortable answering your question as long as it's not in a public venue. Yeah, feel free to send them an email, you know, just with any, again, with personal communication. Be very polite, be very uh, professional, at least. If you don't know that publisher at all, if you do know them, you can be slightly more casual, of course. But generally, yeah, be very respectful uh, of their time. Other things that you can do, some publishers have podcasts or a blog that they will update regularly. You can listen to those and usually pick up nuggets of what the publisher is looking for. Probably the most famous example I would, uh, that I can think of off the top of my head is Ignacy Chevichek, who started Portal Games. And he very famously has a blog that's called uh, Board Games That Tell Stories, which is also the title of, I think he has two books out now, which are collections of his blog posts. 
that gives you a pretty obvious example of what he is looking for. So he he wants uh, a board game where when you're done playing, and maybe you know three weeks from now, you're still going to be telling stories about the experience of playing that of you know your uh, if you're playing I don't know Imperial Settlers. You know how how your faction was able to overcome and raise you know certain buildings and and things like that. Or if you were playing Robinson Crusoe, you know how it took you you know by the third time of a scenario you finally were able to overcome it and then were able to move on to the next scenario, uh, scenario in that game. So those kinds of games where they they really invoke remembering through the story of what happened in the game. You know, that would be what portal games uh, would be looking for. Now that's obviously more time consuming to consume, you know, blog posts and podcasts and things like that. But if you're able to, that is a great, great way to start to learn what a publisher is looking for. You can also sign up for mailing lists from publishers, tasty minstrel games, has a giant mailing list and they are pretty open about how the company is run and sometimes they're they're a little open on what they're looking for but they have a, a mailing list that is feels very personalized and feels like you know this is coming from someone at the company it's not just pushing out an email of hey here's things to buy it's just like hey here's news about our company uh, you know, you might care about these things. And through a mailing list like that, you can start to pick up on kind of what they're looking for. If everything else fails, what you can do, uh, especially if you are, if you're very confident in your game and you think that, you know, it's an excellent design and it is something that uh, you feel would do very well in the marketplace, uh, don't be afraid to show it to just about any publisher as long as the previous caveats aside that it's not 100% out of their kind of current wheelhouse of what they are publishing. And you never know sort of what the publisher might be looking to try to branch out into or what they uh, might like even though it was something that you didn't realize they would like. I think that uh, Catalyst games which they do uh, the Duke, they're somewhat infamous for not really knowing what they want to publish until they see it and which from a designer's perspective that's sort of frustrating because you're like well I, I have no idea what I should be showing you uh, and the Duke, uh, just to use an example, is pretty different from other stuff that Catalyst does, and they do, like you know, BattleTech, and which I personally would not have equated the two. Uh, that I couldn't make the jump from a publisher that does BattleTech and would say, "Hey, I also would like to do you know the Duke," or they've done several other games now, which uh, just seem. Like it came out of nowhere, uh, from my perspective. So all that is to say that if you know if you're really confident in your design and it's not 100% obvious that the publisher would have no interest in this, feel free to show them anyway. the The worst thing that's going to happen is that they kind of roll their eyes, like, "Why are you showing this to me?" You know. Obviously, the best thing that would happen would be they would sign the game. But in between those two extremes you'll get a lot of feedback of, hey, this might not be for us, but I think I know 
uh, you know, a publisher that this might fit, and they might kind of send you on the the direction that um, might lead to something else, or uh, you start to make you know the, that personal connection with someone at the company that is the, the correct person to be able to pitch future things and you could talk to that person and say hey can you you know tell me what you're looking for and and hopefully they'll ha- have a good idea of, of what that is uh, so yeah in, in the end you know don't waste a publisher's time with something that you know that they're absolutely not interested in you know, don't go pitch haba you know, a four hour, you know, four X game. That's clearly not going to be something that they're interested in. But if you had a game that's not necessarily for kids, but it's for families, maybe someone at Haba, they might be interested and then might be worthwhile to, uh, to pitch them. So those are the kind of strategies that you can use to be able to go find a publisher. All right. Now let's get into the news segment here. We have two pieces of news because we took a little bit of a break for the summer uh, we actually completely missed mentioning that Pod X uh, by group member Daniel Solis and published by Buttonshy Games was on Kickstarter and is long over, but it was extremely successful. It had 766 backers and made just over $10,000. That was fantastic because if you're not familiar, Buttonshy Games, they do all the wallet games, which usually top out at about 18 cards. And to make over $10,000 with like a $10 game, that is phenomenal. Uh, so congratulations to Daniel. Uh, and PodX, I believe, should be out in a few months and uh, should be available on any future Buttonshy Games Kickstarter as well. The other project, which we have mentioned before, uh, Rocky Road Alamode, which is by group member Josh Mills and is published by Green Couch Games, that also successfully funded earlier this summer with 1,027 backers and just over $27,000. And once again, huge success and, and really fun game. Congratulations to Josh on that success. And also to fan of the show Nat LeVan, who did uh, Dice Cream, which was a little mini game that you could also get as part of that uh, campaign. And that is going to wrap up our news segment. If you want to get in contact with us, you can go ahead on Twitter. We have a Twitter account, which is at GD of NC, which of course stands for Game Designers of North Carolina. Uh, you can also join our guild on Board Game Geek in order to discuss any, this or any other episode that we do. If you go to podcast.gdofnc.com, that's going to redirect you to our guild on BGG. And if you want to contact me, uh, my Twitter account is at Matt Wolf with an E on the end of Wolf. And that's also the same username on Board Game Geek if you would prefer to contact me uh, that way. If you have any other tips for finding a publisher, uh, please let us know, tweet at us, or post in our guild. And we'd love to be able to share further tips and strategies uh, on future episodes. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Game Designers of North Carolina podcast. Good luck with your endeavors for finding a publisher, and we'll see you next time.